Lord, with open hands, as we've been already encouraged this morning, we not only surrender our lives, but we abandon our lives to you today. Lord, we want to abandon ourselves now to your word as you have prepared your servant to bring it to us. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open and responsive to receive all that you want to speak to us today. Come, Lord. Come and speak now. Your life, your truth, your word, deep into the innermost parts of our being, Lord. And let there be transformation, Jesus, for your glory and for your praise. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Today we are delighted to welcome back no stranger. Yesterday I said, you know, a house of prayer for all nations where strangers become friends and friends become stranger. I wasn't actually thinking of Dale, but you know. Thank you. But uh, <laughs> Dale has uh, graciously uh, come and ministered to us over the last dozen years or so. Typically coming by once a year, but his ministry goes way beyond that. Uh, we speak regularly, uh, sharing what going, what's going on in our lives and ministries. Uh, I know he prays for this house, blesses this house. And uh, this morning, we're just grateful to welcome him back to speak on our third, our third focus for this Lenten series. This is on growing maturity. If you look on the front of your bulletin, it says growing maturity. We're seeking to mature in all kinds of areas. Uh, two weeks ago, Andrew brought us a beautiful introduction to this issue of maturity, and Pastor Ben last week brought to us about maturing in intimacy with God, maturing spiritually. Um, I can't think of anybody better to speak to us about maturing in terms of stewardship. Dale has lived this out for years and years and years, and he has got a word for us today that will uh, speak into us and bring us further along in our understanding. You know, you really get to know somebody when you pray with them, when you spend time with them, and when you spend time in their home. And a couple of years ago, Annette and I and our kids got a chance to spend a few days uh, with the Van Steenuses, and uh, their hospitality was flawless. And, uh, you know, sometimes he, uh, he tells stories that come out of Southern California, and you're trying to figure out, okay, well, how does that map fit with Minnesota? But when you stay in somebody's house and just, a, you know, a modest California house, I mean, you know, location, location, location. But, Amen. But um, it's, uh, you know, not extravagant, just a, just a, a nice ranch house uh, that God has just blessed them in for the last 26 years. And they've opened their home to all kinds of people, and they've opened their hearts and their lives to many, many more. So would you join me in welcoming Pastor Dale. Well, what a morning this has been. Man, this, uh, I don't know what, what uh, <clears throat> how you respond, but this music's really got a grip on me. I'm somewhere between wanting to jump and run and probably too old to do either. And uh, this last little bit here, boy, James, they're getting a funky piano going here. I closed my eyes, and I'm not sure if I'm in church or a club there for a little bit. I mean, it's... But how many know there's, a, there's a, an ascension ministry in the house, a praise going up? What kind of praise is God like? All kinds, as long as it's from the spirit and heart. He loves it all. He loves it all. So thank you. 
I want to salute Andrew for a great job in putting this whole stewardship manual together. It's great. I've been leafing through it, and I'd like to get all the discs or whatever it's made from it. I think it's going to be like a study on stewardship. It's, it's just really good. And so avail yourself of if you miss something, pick up the pieces of it. And uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit about this same theme and the same idea about maturing in, in, uh, in stewardship. And, well, let's see, time is going. How long shall I preach? Well, let me quote uh, Britney Spears about this, <clears throat> who, who, who said to her second husband at their wedding reception, honey, don't worry, I won't keep you long. So, uh, <clears throat> I think she said that. <laughs> anyway, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you in this atmosphere of faith and going forward and thinking about you stretching our heart and our impact and our influence. We pray that we'll get it. We'll get it. I mean, weeks are being spent thinking about moving forward, about increasing uh, the influence of this house, to make God more famous in the Twin Cities area. That's what this is all about. It's not about a money demand, and it's not about bringing pressure on people to, to perform more, or even on ourselves. It's about honoring you by growing, by allowing our vision line to go further and higher and broader. So I pray today in the name of Jesus, you'll take us there to that place where we live bigger than ourselves because you've moved us into a dimension and supplied the grace to go there. I pray that for all of us today. Pray for my own heart. Wherever we've been, there certainly is more from you. And so I pray, Lord, that you'll just help us to get it, to get it in the, in the right way. Get the, get the biblical principles down inside. Let truth be established in our heart so that we can serve you in a greater way. If you agree with that, you can say amen. I'm not going to take a specific text today, but we're going to wander through several here in the next few moments. What I would like to do first is just put a grid up to deal with all things that involve stewardship, because how many know it's bigger than money? Money's important, but it's bigger than that. So the old tried and true trinity of stewardship issues has to do with time, and some say talent, and some say treasure. We'll mix the order up a little bit, but I want to give you a grid to process through how do we biblically look at these items, or it's four posts that hold the house of stewardship up. The first one is the issue of ownership. Who owns me? Who owns the assets that come to me? Who owns the resources that come through my life? Well, let me give you Psalms 24.1 on that one. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all the stuff that's in it. So there's other proof texts, but that's a simple one to get our mind around. So, so the first issue is who owns what? The second issue coming from that is responsibility. If God owns it, but I'm managing it, which is what stewardship means, it means looking after the assets of another person, then what is my responsibility about money and time and giftedness and all of those things? Thirdly, there's the issue of accountability. How will we respond both to God's name and voice and to our peers in responsibility to what God has put in our hand? And finally, what's the issue of rewards. What is the issue of rewards? So let's talk first about, that's the grid. 
Everybody got it? Ownership, responsibility, accountability, and rewards. So everything related to stewardship should be processed through that grid because those pieces define and confine what stewardship is about. Uh, probably even a bigger challenge than the getting of money and the giving of money is the issue of how, in, in the Western mindset, we view time. Business says time is money. That's probably right. Uh, certain kinds of professions charge by the hour because time yields money. And uh, the standard mantra for everybody, if you ask folks to do stuff, is this, well, I'm really busy. How many has ever heard that? How many has ever, oh, come on, let's have big confessions. It's good for us. How many has ever said that? Okay. Well, one of the things I've discovered is the busiest people in church work and in industry always have time for stuff that's important. I worked for a man who was a bishop, worked for him for a couple of years, and what he would say if I walked into, and I was his assistant, if I walked into his office, his standard question to me, he would just look up and he would say, do we need to handle this now? He wasn't saying no, do we need to deal with this right now? If the answer was yes, sit down and we'll handle it. If it, was, if it can wait, then let's deal with it this afternoon. I have a time block, and we'll put it there. I appreciated that because he was just evaluating. He had a sense of proportionality. That was a big problem with the, with the New Testament people. You know, the Bible even says, well, you pay tithes on dill and mint and all of that, but you have forgotten the weightier issues of the law, like justice and mercy and so on. In other words, the Bible even speaks about proportionality. What that means is what's important and how do we value what's important. So for us in the West, time is really a big deal, really a big deal. There's all kinds of manifestations. You know, you fly a great deal, and how is it that people stand in line at every airport every single day for airplanes that do not leave early? It's because of that we've got to get in line. Why would you do that? You have a boarding pass. There is an airplane. It will not leave without you if you're near the gate. Someone will hustle you along to get you in there. But people stand in line sometimes a block long waiting to get on an airplane that doesn't leave early. They never leave early. They always, many leave late, but they don't leave early. But we've been taught about time. You've got to rush. You've got, or, or even in the house, sometimes I've got to hurry and go to the market. Really? Is Safeway going to move this afternoon? Is there wheels under the place? Is it going down the road somewhere? But that gets ingrained in us as children, so we're in a hurry. Look, God owns all the days, and he's assigned to us three score and ten and four score if, if we've lived a good life. And so time is a gift to us. It's not just a presumed right that we have. It's something God gives. And so he gives it with this instruction. How do we steward our time? He said simply, it's a simple thing. Lord, teach us to number our days. What follows? Somebody speak it out so we can. I'm talking from the Bible here, folks. Anybody that, no. <laughs> teach us to number our days so we can appoint our heart to wisdom or useful activity. It doesn't mean, you know, it's the 1st or the 15th or the 28th where we're marking X's across the day. It doesn't mean that. It means this. I think it fairly means this. It means teach us, Lord, to understand the present moment we're living in so we can wisely behave in that moment. Let's not act like we're in 1948 Maybe we'd like to be, but we're not there. We're today. So help us to understand the moment we're in. And let me tell you what's refreshing 
in our Western culture are Christians that live at peace and at ease in a frenzied environment. We just refuse to suck up on the busyness of the world, and we live in peace, and we can lay down and sleep at night without the benefit of pills and get up in the morning without pills for sleeping, and we're going to live our life, and our blood pressure is not, you know, 300 and all the rest of it, because whether it's today or tomorrow, God's in charge, and we're living under his mantle, and he is wisely going to give us grace to work out the day. How shall it be spent? I mean, we have activities in 15, 16 countries and contacts and many others for refugee help, food help, medical help, and conference work and training, lots of things. So I have to make a list every day, not because I forget stuff, to, to make the list and then go back to that list after at least an hour of prayer and say, all right, Lord, on this list, what's important to you today that really ought to be done and have my attention? And usually three or four things go right off that list that don't need to be dealt with that day about anything. They can be shoved somewhere else down the calendar. So, well, let me just bring it right on home here. It would be easier this morning to raise $10,000 for a mission project someplace because this is a generous church towards missions than it would be to get the people in this room to pray 30 minutes a day for revival until it comes. Because we'll pay for ministry to happen. But we won't pay with our time to bring it to pass. Which means we have valued, inadvertently I think, we have valued the clock but higher than money itself. I probably, I need to look at that note again to see what I said about that because people, oh man, he's getting mean. It's just the first thing here. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean spirit. I'm just saying that's, that's what we've slid into culturally in our church life. We're willing to write checks because we can. It's fairly easy. It has cost us some of our time and earning. But we'll write checks to keep things going, help projects and so on. That's true of your church and many churches like this one. What we almost refuse to do is surrender a piece of our clock to the work of the ministry. Because that, for us, we sit on the throne of my clock. I rule that baby. I can control it. When all the time, whatever moment we have, has come from God. And we ought to value it as exactly the same, through that same grid with which we value money. We wouldn't throw it away, but time's another matter. And isn't it strange... We can make doctor appointments and ought to, or counselor appointments and ought to, school appointments with our kids. We make our vacations. We make time for the guests that just kind of drop in from places and all of that stuff. We can find time for shopping and a whole random thing. But if we are asked especially to pray for a few minutes extra every day until God comes magnificently unseen, we're probably going to struggle with that. We're probably going to, because that time thing, we're busy. We're busy. Well, if you were God, busy has to be the first word on your agenda. He's got a lot of stuff to look after. And how many knows he gets everything done? Yeah, but he's God, man. Well, here we're his. And the important things, oh, cheer up and smile. It gets better. And, I, and, and, and you're going to lunch, so you'll be okay after a while. Just leave your Rolexes right here somewhere, and you know, that'll be fine. How many know I've told you the truth? So I'm, I'm calling to you in the name of Jesus as you're thinking forward and about how to grow that you ask God to help you steward your time in a new way, to vacate time blocks and space for him and for ministry. 
and for, to make yourself available for God. You know, our church is full of young converts, and there's a couple things about all that that, that just really bless me no end. They're not very religious. In fact, some of them are just downright irreverent because they don't know church culture. So they get saved, and half of them still acts like they used to act, <laughs> and they say stuff that's pretty spontaneous and unfiltered, <clears throat> if I can use that word. But they're just not very religious in the sense of, you know, religious baggage hanging on them. And they're very spontaneous. I'll tell you what else is wonderful. If you announce a corporate meeting to pray, well, our pastor was injured in an accident a few weeks ago, seriously injured. And the first prayer meeting, 4,000 people showed up for it. I've never been to a prayer meeting that big in my entire life anywhere in the world. 4,000 people show up to pray for the pastor. That's a pretty good prayer meeting. And I mean, they weren't there to sing. They were there to pray. And they did pray with urgency and with passion. It was wonderful. And our, we often have, I think, four times a year we have a prayer night from 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, yeah, 9 at night until 1 o'clock in the morning. And there'll be 2,500 to 3,000 people. Why? Because, well, that's how you do church. We better get our, they're busy. But they come because they haven't been tainted with, I'm not too busy for God. He's just redeemed me. I'm pretty happy about that. We do church, we need to pray. Okay, we're going to prayer meeting. That's wonderful. I just love it. There's other things, you know, they need help with, like smoking in front of the church. Not a very good ad for Jesus to have people. That's a great church here, man. It's a grace-filled church. <laughs> and, you know, some of the old religious people, you guys in leadership, man, you need to get people stop smoking out there. Good, we'll put ashtrays out there next week, and they can, you know. So we don't want any butts in the flowers, you know. We want to be careful with that. Let's go on to one other issue I want to talk about. I want to talk about our giftedness because I think there's two latencies in this church that, that need to be awakened. One is the time revision, that God help all of us look through our days and our weeks to get time and space for God. The second has to do with our giftedness. I don't know because I, I haven't asked and I, I just don't know. I don't know what percentage of the membership or attend, regular attenders of this house are actually engaged in ministry one time per week or more or on some regular scheduled thing. I don't know. But, you know, twice in the New Testament, well, let's take the Matthew 25 example. Twice in the New Testament, this same parable is taught, slightly different tweaks, but it's exactly the same issue. One's a nobleman, one's a landowner, and they came to their servants and handed out money. In the Matthew record, it's five talents, two talents, and one talent. Remember that story? And the other one, it's a nobleman, and you have, you know, some kind of currency, but it's handed out. And, but here's what the landowner said. Do business with this until I come back, because then there's going to be an accounting. Now, he didn't say, go hide it, go bury it. What did he? He, he gave permission. He gave resources and permission to use it. We agree on that? Do business with this till I come back. And then when he came back, here's what he found. The guy that had five now had five more. How many, if you were an investment person, that's pretty good, 100% gain. That's wonderful. And the guy had two, had, had double the amount. Again, entered into the joy of the Lord. It's all good. But the one who had one had practiced false American modesty. Well, I don't have much. I better be careful. You know, somebody may ambush me, may get mugged down at the mall. So I got to be careful. Buried it, and Jesus was not happy with him at all, was he? Weeping, wailing, 
bind up these bundles, throw them into the fire. It's very serious. I mean, it's, that scripture puts a terror in my heart. And here's the upset on God's side. If he invests in us, how many think as God, he has a right to request increase on his investment? And so a part of God's kingdom, and here's what bought the penalty, A, the rebelliousness, and secondarily this. The king or the landowner or the nobleman was not able to continue to expand his kingdom because someone did not obey the word and the resource given to him. God's kingdom was thwarted at that point. How many get, get this? It's not complex. Could not increase because a person was in rebellion. So God said, there's a penalty for constraining my kingdom just out of willful rejection of what I said. And here's the promotion side. As we said, part of that grid is rewards, rewards. I'll just tell you an illustration. I went down to Florida, and uh, not because I came through here on the way. I just went down there to preach. And uh, I was invited by the pastor to go out to this, uh, this beautiful uh, estate. It's about 25 acres on Sebring Lake. And you can't see the house because all these trees, beautiful, mature trees. And you drive down this windy road, and then this beautiful 7,000-square-foot house made out of stone. Beautiful. And then a, a big pool complex and four or five other residences and some other buildings for cars and, and a couple of greens to shoot golf on. And then this guy that owned the property uh, somehow got a permit. I don't know if he could do it anymore. Got a permit to uh, build a big, long dock and then scooped out a big place for bass and then put structure down there. I like that place because you can just sit in an easy chair and fling it and zing it. It's just, it's wonderful. Come on, anybody in here fish? How many know fishing is not fun? Catching is fun. That's where the joy hits. And I mean, you'll sing opera and everything else in that place. It's just incredible. 25 acres, and so my friend, Manuel, was from the church, and he invited us out. We went out there. He's got permission to even use the place. In fact, I've, I've stayed there overnight, and uh, we've had a couple of meal functions out there for leadership training. It's just a beautiful, beautiful place, a big grand piano in the house. And uh, the last year I was there, that house was used uh, two and a half days because that family doesn't travel with any baggage. They just send a fax ahead what they want for food. Their cooks travel with them. And they just show up. There's clothes in all their seven estates around the world. And they just show up, and their cars are washed, and they do what they want to do for a couple of days, and then they go on to some other place. So that's the way they live. Well, my friend Manuel, when this wealthy gentleman bought that property, went out there because he was the general manager of a wholesale nursery. And the owner of the property said, I want, I want a woods. I want a forest. I want to plant 12,000 trees on this property. Just stick them post by post by post. And next to however close they'll grow, put them in there. And I just want it thick. So Manuel did all of that. The man paid them. They put the tree. Now they're mature. And uh, when all the job was finished, the owner of the property said to Manuel, uh, you know, I, I really like the way you do things. You're a very pleasant man. You're efficient. You do what you say. You get the job done and you handle your workers really well, he said, I'd like you to come and work for me, and here's my deal. Whatever you're earning right now, times two, that'll be your starting wage. Whatever you're earning, whatever that is, I'll double your salary starting first of the month. 
Secondarily, you have any kids? Yes, I have two boys. Well, they want to go to college? Yes, they're coming up through school, but they want to go. Well, we'll set up a trust for them to be sure when college starts, all the funds they'll need for four years, that's handled. And uh, do you have a retirement program? No, we don't. Well, we've got to fix that. You get a new pickup every other year. And you just hire whoever you have to hire to look after this place. And he said, well, let me pray about it. Yes, I think I'll take the job. <laughs> Come on, how many would feel a little like him? Come on. And uh, so he took the job, and uh, now he's, he's coming, I think, next year ready to retire. And that man, an unsaved man, has done precisely what he said he would do and more. He has funded all of that that he promised and more. Looked after the sons. Manuel's wife was sick. He saw to it that everything she needed that was extra, all of those bills were paid and all the rest of it. He's done exactly, and here's why. Manuel is a good steward of another man's assets. He has carefully looked after something that's not his own. And that's what Jesus was saying to these servants here Take care of my stuff. This is mine, and I'm going to come back and look after it and call you to account for how you handled it. Now, when Jesus went to heaven, let's just move on with this. How many of these are parables? So Jesus is trying to teach something from the known world. Everybody's familiar with stewardship and household servants and all the rest. Everyone's familiar with stories like that in that day especially. But Jesus is going somewhere with that because when he ascended back to heaven, well, he had this discussion with his disciples and he said, it's really important for you and beneficial for you that I go. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. And if I go, I will send him so that you'll not be like orphans and you'll not be friendless and hopeless. And I'm one limited to... 150 miles north to south and 60 miles east to west, and I've chosen to manifest myself on planet Earth in a human body. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll be able to touch the whole world 24-7 and be with you always, everywhere at the same time, and that's who you need now. So it's better for you. So when Jesus ascended, went away, and said, I'm coming back, I mean, this is the same story, but he didn't send shekels out of heaven. He sent the Holy Ghost from heaven, and the Holy Spirit came with bags, not baggage that's negative, but he came with bags, baggages, that I want to call the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So everyone that's in this room that's born again is already equipped. When you said yes to Jesus, the power of sin was broken. You begin a relationship with Jesus that's personal, and you got divine equipment to do the work of the ministry. Now, how many know our king has a right to look for increase on his investments? That's why he really doesn't like religious consumers that park and just extract the strength out of a house and don't contribute back. And I'm not talking about just writing a check or putting some cash in. I'm talking about of your spirit, of what God has put in your life. And, you know, we have, we have, uh, we have Ephesians 4, gifts that come from Jesus, also prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. We have Romans 12, gifts that flow out of the heart of the Father. We have 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Who owns those? God owns it. 1 Corinthians 12, here's what it says in part. He, God, divides severally as he will. And remember, they're called gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
So he's the giver of those gifts. He's the possessor of the gift. Is that right? He divides, so he hands out what he owns and distributes it so the body and the kingdom can grow. I think God has every right to not be pleased and grieved in his heart when we don't release and outflow and give out the things he's deposited in our life. And you can have more if you're faithful with what he gave you the first time. Isn't that good? Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. Plural. You can have more if you're faithful with, God, with what God gave you. And, and folks, ask God to deliver you and me and everybody from false modesty. Well, I've been divorced. I've been broken. I've been bankrupt. I'm from somewhere else. I'm this, I'm that. And I don't think I can do much for you. Stop that down talking. You have to say of yourself what's true biblically. If you've come to Jesus, you can say without arrogance, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of the Most High God, not by my doing, but by his grace. He has made me relationally what I could not be by myself, not by works which we have done, but by his grace. He has. And imagine the change and transfer in relational stuff. If you know Jesus here today, process this one. We are heirs and joint heirs with him. Whatever the Father shares through the life of Jesus We've got a piece of that action if we serve him. Do we deserve that? We clearly do not deserve it. But because that grace gets us all the way next to Jesus, even in eternity, he's willing to share in the rewards of the Father because of his obedience. That's, you could say amen at this point. It's been heavy before, but this is a good piece. Okay? So he has an expectation. And part of the function of this house is to help you find your grace and your place, your fit and your function. Get yourself in the... <clears throat> it's really so important. You know, the church I grew up in, we had a man... I don't know what you even call this, and look, I, I want to be more informed. If someone knows where to place this, tell me after, and I'll accept it from you. I will. The man owned a plumbing business, a great big guy, and very large hands. When he shook your hand, he moved your elbow. You know, if you patted it on the head, he could hit the front and back, one swipe. You got you. And, uh, and he had this authoritative name. His name was Mr. Axe. You wouldn't mess with him, right? And I don't know what you call this, but I've seen it a few but, but I grew up watching him. He, if he laid hands on somebody, they received the infilling of the Holy Ghost and talked in tongues right then. It's an amazing thing. So a lot of churches sent over their hard cases because some churches taught in our neighborhood that you had to tarry. We're tarrying for the Holy Ghost. Ain't no such thing in the New Testament after the day of Pentecost. There's, it never happened after Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came, what are you waiting for? We're not waiting. He's here. So the tarrying was to wait till he got there. Now he's here. He has not been extracted. So Mr. X, and I myself was filled with the Holy Spirit under his hand. And I've told you this drill before. I wasn't seeking the Holy Spirit. Look, my best friend Donald and I were, you know, my dad was chairman of the older board. His dad was the worship leader. They were on the boards and all this stuff. So we had to, you know, sort of act like elders' kids. It's a pain in the neck. <laughs> and our prayer room had one way in and one way out, and, you know, it's good if the leader's kids get to. So every Sunday night, the tradition was people who really wanted to pray a while would get in the prayer room. Well, we got in there. It was so crowded, all these people, and some of the beefier ones were behind us. We couldn't get out. We're stuck over here. And brothers and sisters and you young people, we had some pretty good dates after church waiting. 
And we were trying to look religious. We had no mind to pray for the infilling. None. We were thanking God for the joy to come. Her name was Karen. And the pizza place where our young people all went to, usually 75 or 100 of them every Sunday night, was six blocks from the church. So help me, this is true. The name of that pizza restaurant was The Red Devil. <laughs> so we'd come right out of the prayer room and go to the devil, right this right out, right down the street. <laughs> so for Don and I, there were a couple blondes out in the, out in the foyer waiting, and we... Ah, we were miserable. We're stuck in the corner of that prayer room. Packed in there by religious people. They wanted to pray and talk in tongues and all that stuff. When we could be eating pizza with blondes. And some people wanted to pray. What's that about? Man, they don't know how life should be lived. So we're stuck. And people thought, you know, we're kneeling down. I said, man, what are we going to do? He said, I don't know. There's some big sisters between us and the door. I don't think we can get out of here. I said, I think you're, can we climb up? No, they're standing up and they're packed like sardines, man. We can't, we're stuck. Can we crawl under these chairs? No. Somebody's got their foot stuck in there. I have to break their leg to get it. So there we were. And horror of horrors, we hear Mr. Axe coming down the road. I thought, oh, no. Love that man, but not tonight, brother. Just, and he got to Donald, and Donald goes, woo, over on the floor and gets filled with the Holy Ghost. And poor Mr. Axe almost had a heart attack because Donald had a tie-on with a bikini girl on the back, and it flew up. <laughs> Mr. Axe is praying, Oh, God, fill him with the Holy Ghost and fire. Oh, God! It's an amazing thing. I don't know what you call that, but he was gifted. What do you, I don't know, there's no name for that. Just, he was, whatever grace that was on him, he was able to release it in power. He was a gentleman, quiet, didn't make anything of himself. But how many know there's a reward for a faithful man or woman? It's required of a steward we be found faithful. And he faithfully dispensed that. Wonderful. Through the years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people received the infilling of the Holy Spirit by that precious man who just, he would just wait on God a few minutes, start praying for people just quietly, and one after another, just as sweet as it. It was wonderful. How many know that's a gift, whatever you call it? That's a, you know, you have that same potential in whatever God has invested in you. Because God didn't send money from heaven. That wasn't what those parables were about. It's about King Jesus going to get a place ready for us and surely will return one day. And he is saying to you and me, do business with this Holy Ghost until I come back. That is the tools of your trade to expand the kingdom. It's the function in or out of the house, in whatever God has put in your life. He expects it, and it's wonderful. And when you find your fit, so much joy, because you're not colliding with people. You're right where God wants you, and you'll get the most fruit with the least effort when you find your place. Know what your grace is, find your place, and dysfunction there and be faithful there. It's absolutely wonderful.
So, for those of you that are, have been on hold, either you're wondering or you've practiced this false modesty, you're, 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 you're wondering what God wants you to do, or, you know, you may have been hurt someplace. That happens sometimes, unfortunately, or there's been some trauma or drama in your life, and it's caused you just kind of to shrivel up. Uh, listen, at the end of the service, in just a few minutes, we're going to pray that God will give you a release. First, an awakening to the grace that's in your life. And then you come to your leadership and you find a place that, that they will assign you to. There's always a human part to this kind of ministry. It has to get boots on it. I said in the thing yesterday, some of the dear friends from Bhutan were, I said something about getting boots on it. And the girl said, oh, Bhutan. No, not, not boot on. Bhutan. Boots on. Making the ministry. Oh, okay. We're just, just checking. <clears throat> Language does confuse things. How many see this principle? He has sent... We don't need more. We need activation of what is present. I just want to let that settle. We need activation of what's present. <laughs> we want all of our new converts to get filled with the Holy Spirit and find a place in or out of the house to start functioning. Because what we've learned is this. Disciples and spiritual growth are not made only in classrooms. Sometimes you have to have one to get people moving, but they're not made, they're made functioning and trained on the way. When that classroom is an augment to ministry that's on the way, then it lifts and benefits. It's absolutely wonderful to see brand new converts start to work and function, build relationships in the house, and just begin to grow because you join something, you have to pray and work and be there, be timely, develop a servant's heart and so on. And that leads us to this issue of of, uh, of finance, of finance. Uh, in preparation for this meeting, there's what I would call a very robust uh, discussion through emails with a number of people. I'm not sure all that participated. Uh, and there's good reason for that. Uh, how many know in some circles and in times past, not this house, but there's been a lot of abuse as far as money and giving and pressure tactics and all kinds of things. And how many know that's happened? It's not good, but it's happened. Uh, I saw this with my own eyes. I won't tell you the name of the person. You probably will assume it, but I'll give them grace because they've gone on to be with the Lord now. But this person said, and a person with a long evangelistic history, said on television, uh, you know, here, here was the words I'm quoting. God told me. Well, that's high sounding, isn't it? When I hear that from inbed, whoops, I'm out, man. If the big guy's talking, God told me. That if you send $2,000 gift, right, you got one hour. That God is going to cancel all of your debts. I said to my wife, write him a check for $3,000. I want to be sure my debts on eternity are paid. She said, you're not going to do that. I said, no, not one dime is going out of this house for that. Because what we've just heard from a very fine man with a good reputation is deceitful. He has not heard from God. That is patently untrue, absolutely untrue. How do I know it's untrue? We can, when I say we, I mean all humans, we can recklessly use credit, borrow, and buy with no control at all, and then buy one gift to a ministry, have all that canceled without God changing my character to stop this? How many think if you take this to a logical end, it's foolishness. And guess what? 
thousands of people sent checks for $1,000 so God would clean up their stinky greed and financial messes. Whoops, I'm, I'm getting mean. About, I must be done. <clears throat> How many think that's a fair assessment? So when the public, especially the non-church public, sees that, they go, there it is, money grubbers, liars, deceivers, and guess what? They are right. They are not wrong. They are right. So if we know that those kinds of things are nefarious and false, we ought to be all the more diligent to work towards lavish generosity in a context that has credible financial controls and management. Now you can say, man, that's a good thing. Okay, this was, I'm not kicking anymore. That's a good thing. Where there's good financial controls and management, we should be lavish with that. Here's the rules. 2 Corinthians 9. Let everyone give as they have purposed in their own heart, not under pressure or a false promise, but as they have purposed in their heart. You know, the first five years of our ministry, we, uh, as, a, as a test of faith and just to believe God, at the first of every month, we had $100 in the bank. That was it. We sent everything out, everything out. Had $100 at the beginning of the month. Well, I'll tell you what, it kept us praying. <laughs> Lord, it's the first of the month, and we got a C note here. Four kids in the house. And three of those were boys, and boys never eat a standard meal. You, know, they just, you could bail it, and they'd eat it. And, it, and one hour later, they're eating again. You know, it's, it's, how, how many know what you parents that are nearly broke because you have teenagers? And they have 14-foot tapeworms. They eat and the worm eats. And they just, you look at them, and they're about this big around. And say, where is all this going? It's just, you must have a stomach container from here to your ankle. It's just. Before I met my wife, uh, this European family came to our church, and I was dating their daughter, and she was 4 foot 11 and weighed 82, 85 pounds. Almost looked like a child. She wasn't. She was 19 years old, but she's just tiny. And, uh, you know, I was a student, so I, mean, I didn't have all the money in the world, but I could, I could date. That girl could eat her body weight three times a day. It was unbelievable. You know, we're also from European stock, so we're in for the holiday at our house. She's eating it. I mean, my mother had this set of oval plates, so she's just... She whipped through that, the best, almost a third of a pumpkin pie. I said, girl, you just ate all the left. You ate my joy two hours after the football game. The football food is, stand up. <laughs> what? And about 8 o'clock that night, a whole bunch of us decided to go bowling Thanksgiving night. We got over to the bowling place, which my uncle owned, got over there, had it all opened up. She said, excuse me, girl, but she said, I'm really hungry. What? Put some salt on your finger and suck it. I said, well, would you like a bowl of soup? No, I had something a little more. I said, okay. So my uncle on the end of this place had a, like a restaurant club, you know, for high rollers and stuff. 
We go in there, because I had access. We go in there. 16-ounce sirloin, baked potato, great big salad, and apple pie with ice cream. I'm just sitting there. And after we bowled, we went to the devil, and she ate pizza. Two weeks with her, I said, girl, you are a sweetheart. You're beautiful. I can't afford you. I'd have to have a 1,600-acre farm to live with you, girl. It's just, it's unbelievable. I pray that a spirit of lavish generosity will come on you. As we've heard Chris here today, uh, I so believe in that whole church culture that because pretty soon when you start sowing into God's stuff with authentic heart and authentic needs, not, not pressure and, and, and some kind of, a dis- you know, it takes, when you hear stuff like your debts are going away, when, it, when a when a cloud of deception gets over the money department, man, you just feel yucked up about everything. You just, I mean, I don't know about you. I just don't want to even get around stuff when I hear that. Is anybody in here like that? But when it's the real deal. So at Christmas time, and I'm finishing up with this, at Christmas time, we begin to get requests from churches and all that had, because of, this, of the weather, and I'm not <laughs> going there again particularly, but because all through the middle of the country and east, uh, I think we had a half a dozen requests for churches that were just stretched out there for widows. I mean, one lady had a $700 electrical bill. 700 all-electric house, and it just, you know, the thing had to run 24 hours, just so cold. And So I woke up and went to my little home office and was just waiting on the Lord. I just felt the Lord whisper to me, I like it. I like it when people bless the widows. I like it. Okay, Lord, okay. And this Philippine thing was going on. So finally, Gloria got up. We had some coffee together, and uh, I was kind of quiet. And she said, are you, did you sleep okay? And I, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I said, I think the Lord's talking to me. Remember the days when we started, first of every month for five years, 100 bucks? Yeah, I said, I think that's what God wants us to do this December. It's the middle of the month, near the 15th. I said, I think, except for restricted money for projects that are saved till it comes and so on. I think God wants us to just give everything away. My dear wife, God bless her. She said, what are you waiting for? I said, the post office doesn't open till 9, for goodness sake. And she said, you don't need my, you know, I, you want to give, you give it. I want to give. That was our, that's one of the things we committed to the night we were married. We got before the Lord for an hour and wrote down about a half a dozen things that we wanted God to mark our life with. And that was one of them. God, help us always to be generous. Not just meet the code of 10%, because that's just meeting your responsibility. And if either of us feel to give any amount of money any day of the week, we just do it. Guess what? We live fine. God's blessed us, blessed our house, blessed our kids. I stand before you as a blessed person today. Because of those commitments, not because we had the millions of dollars, but because we gave out of what we had and then gave what we didn't even have in some cases. So we wrote it all. We just wrote it, gave, gave money to widows and helped these churches and stuff. I'm not here trying to put us up. I'm just telling you we just felt to do it. We did it. We just did it. And the first gift 
unexpected, about the 5th or 6th of January, that may have been a weekend, but right in there, the first gift in, a man just sent me a text and said, uh, last year I made a huge amount of money in the stock market. I need to bless somebody, and the first name that came to me was your ministry. And his gift was right at twice the size of the largest gift we received last year. That's how we started the year. I didn't know that was going to come. I didn't pray that it would come. I just know this. When you, when you help God doing it, partner with God doing his business, you'll not be a debtor to anybody. He's got a way of making that right. So I pray that for you. The issue of money is not one about pressure, and certainly Chris wasn't doing that. It's not about pressure. It's not about exaggerated claims of send it here and send it there, and you're going to be blessed. The blessing is not necessarily more money. It's the blessing of obedience. So there's the grid, and I'm done. Ownership, how we know our funds belong to God. Responsibility, how will we handle our gifts, the time, and the money? How will we? What about accountability? What will we say to the Father about our life and our performance on planet Earth with his staff? And finally, there's the reward system. And we know there's a great one for those that are just faithful. Well, I hope this little discussion has been helpful. It's nothing new. I didn't plan to say anything new. Just try to get it in a context so you could think clearly and compartmentally about these issues, all of which are critical to living. I pray you'll find a release of time. You'll free yourself up from time, uh, you know, time events that draw on you and sap energy from you that could really be released and used in other ways for the glory of God and for your blessing. Everybody okay? Here's how we're going to end today. Worship team's going to lead us in a minute. Here's how I feel to end today. Firstly, if you've come into this room, you don't know Christ as Savior, that's your first piece of business with God. This church is about this idea that everybody should have an opportunity to get a, a relationship with Jesus going. Here's how it starts. You admit you're a sinner. You admit he's the Savior. You confess that out of your mouth. If you're honest, he will come to you, and all of this will begin, and the good people in this church will help you grow and mature, and you see a lot of joy around here. That's part of the inheritance that God will put in, and usefulness. He'll make you function in a way that will bless other people. So that's first. That's for you. But I think we probably need three levels of prayer here this morning. The first one might be the one who has encircled your life with so much busyness, you're worn out all that. You get up in the morning and say, I'm tired already. I haven't even stepped out of, out of the house yet. Because so much stuff has accumulated on your calendar, and a lot of it can go off. It's not life-giving. It's not producing resources for your family. It's wearying you. Some of that stuff can go. Maybe you need to pray about that, Lord. Teach me how to revise my calendar so it meets your approval and your blessing. And create time blocks for the kingdom, for prayer, meditation, and ministry. Secondarily, the only way to get over the financial thing is to repent and give. That's it. The only way to break poverty is to ask God to give you a giving spirit, not a fatter wallet. You don't need more money to become a giver. You need a better heart to become a better giver. Maybe you want to pray about that. And then what about the other category of people over here where you come to the house, you, you, you call this house your home, and what, whatever of the churches you're from, but this is your home. You come here for your spiritual teaching, training, management of your life spiritually, and other than perhaps giving some funds, you don't function 
Well, you don't know what your gift is. You don't know what grace is in your life. But today something is tweaked up in your heart. I need, I need to sign up. I need to start releasing out of my life what God has deposited in. So I want to make a call for those three places. And if you want to pray about that, we're going to stand in a moment. Worship team is going to sing a little bit. If you want to make your way here, come on. Let's talk to God about it before we leave here. Because if you're honest, it just takes a few minutes and you can settle business. Let's stand. If you want to come and pray in any of those categories or you need Jesus as Savior, come on right now. Anybody, I want to talk to God about whatever the issue is. Right now, I invite you to the front. I want you to follow me in a prayer, and especially those of you that are in the front, in the audience, stretch your hand this way and just pray with me, will you? Heavenly Father, everyone repeat after me. Heavenly Father, help us to grow in our stewardship. To get your holy understanding about time. To release the gifts of God that are within us. And to practice kingdom giving. Now, Lord Jesus, I pray over this house that anything less than what you want will not be acceptable any longer. That we'll grow in you, we'll press in, we'll grow, we'll study, we'll pray. And as you, as you increase your instruction in our life, by your grace, we will obey you. Say amen if you believe that. We will obey you, Lord. We will. We give you our time. We give you our talent and our treasure in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God bless you today. Praise God. Now with open hands, let's receive the benediction this morning. Now I pray that you might be filled afresh with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, and with the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit to be with you and yours. As you go from this house to your house, sent to make disciples of all nations, I pray that the banner of his favor will rest over your life and that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life for his glory and for his praise. I bless you this day, people of God. I bless you into the maturity of stewardship, mature stewardship. I bless this house into mature stewardship for his glory. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.